Welcome to Vincent Price's Laugh. Hey everybody, and thanks for joining us this evening. Andrew's here. Hi. I'm here. Hey. That's LB. I, I'm sure you guys who have been listening to the show know our names, but that's LB. Don't mistake the two of our voices. Because <laughs> it's really easy to do, right? <laughs> my response is giggles. Or was it my response? <laughs> so Drink some water while I talk. Here, let me, let me drink something. Uh, we have a dog named Rocket. He likes to sleep on his back. All right, all right, that validated it. <laughs> You're a different person than me. Okay, so what do we got tonight? So we are talking about one of the most beloved film franchises out there in the horror genre, a film series that- Needs no introduction, so we won't even mention it. <laughs> well, I was going to say that it doesn't really need much discussion, honestly, because there's so many discussions out there about it. We're going to do it anyway. Get it out of the way, because, you know, it's going to come up sooner or later. Yeah. So why not sooner? We're talking about the Evil Dead. I have seen the dark shadows moving in the woods, and I have no doubt that whatever I have resurrected through this book is sure to come calling for me. Stephen King, author of Carrie, said, Evil Dead is the most ferociously original horror film of the year. If you think he's kidding, see for yourself. No, it was the woods themselves. <laughs> They're alive, Ashley. I don't care what happens to her. She's your girlfriend, you take care of her. I fear that the only way to stop those possessed by the spirits of the book is through the act of bodily dismemberment. Evil Dead. They got up on the wrong side of the grave. Evil Dead from New Line Cinema. Indeed. Evil Dead. I think most of us, in our age group anyway, saw the Evil Dead when we were young and impressionable. Right. How old were you? Round about what age? Well, I actually didn't see the first two, the Evil Dead and Evil Dead 2, until I was older. But I did see Army of Darkness as a pre-teen back in, what, 93, 94? Yeah, about four. I saw that at a slumber party. So was it on TV? Was it on USA? Or was it... I think they had rented it. Okay. Like, like my friend's older sister or somebody had, had rented it, I think. That's just weird. Why did they would ever rent Army of Darkness, an older sister, high school sister would rent Army of... It just it seems like something girls wouldn't do. Because around me at the time that that was happening with you, it was happening with me, but it was me buying it and watching the movie over and over and over with my best friend in high school. But we were out of high school at the time. But that was Army of Darkness. Yeah. I think it was like the older sister was kind of a like... Semi-goth? Counterculture of the 90s type of chick. We also watched, you know, like Demon Knight at slumber parties. So, you know, it was kind of a, a thing. So she was just a horror fan. Yeah, I guess so. But at the time, I had seen nothing like it before. It would just blew my mind and how ridiculous it was. It was just kind of like, what is this? What is happening? Like the entire time. So when did you see the first or second? Um, not until I was much older. In, sometime in my 20s. I think one of my roommates in Nashville had the DVDs that I just stayed up all night and watched randomly. That's interesting. Because uh, I was like you. I saw the third one first. And then I had, okay, I had a series of movies that I called Movies of the Ed. Because they all had the sound Ed in them. Oh. So there's Reuben and Ed, Eraserhead, and Evil Dead, or Evil Dead 2. <laughs> okay. 
And, and lumped in with that was another movie called Ed and His Dead Mother, but that was just like an afterthought where I lumped it in. It's a Steve Buscemi movie. But I have a librarian friend who, at the time, was just starting out as a librarian, and he's like, I have uh, this network of videos that I can just, like, basically order from other libraries. So he did that for me. That was That's really nice. cool. Yeah, so I finally got to watch all those weird movies, and I was like, okay then. <laughs> I understand now. You know... I want to say that Evil Dead 1 in particular is Sam Raimi playing a joke on Hollywood. Hmm. How do you mean? Well, if you think about the films that were coming out at the time, the, the ones that were most lauded, the critically acclaimed horror films of the... 70s in particular, but even going back to like Psycho, you have Rosemary's Baby, you have The Shining, The Exorcist, like all those movies that were Academy Award caliber. Yeah, critically acclaimed by everybody and people went to the theaters and droves and... Right. Like, I have to see this because it is artful and, and avant-garde and so just tremendously well done. Okay, so... I kind of think that Sam Raimi used the Evil Dead as sort of a reaction to those films. Like, he uses the conventions of horror films to make fun of those but evil, important films. Evil I Dead guess. 1 is not an intentional comedy. It's an accidental comedy. There's nothing intentional about its humor. Well, I think that they intentionally used comic timing. Well, like you're saying, well, obviously if you watch the later movies, they like the Three Stooges. So Evil Dead 1 has a lot of the same kind of beats that the Three Stooges comedy has, but it's applied to horror only. So it's it's not intended for laughs. Is that what you're saying? Right. I still don't think it was necessarily a response to that because at the same time you had all this grindhouse and drive-in schlock all throughout the 70s. Stuff that wasn't critically acclaimed, but still was being seen like tons and tons of times. Like even Texas Chainsaw Massacre and so on. I, d I just don't think that it was necessarily uh, a thumbing of the nose at horror. I think he was saying horror is the easiest way to get into the movie business. <laughs> and it is. It really is. The first film of most directors is a horror movie. The first film of most actors is a horror movie. And then they get embarrassed of their product. <laughs> Usually. Jennifer Aniston. Yep. Well, I don't know if that was her first thing. I think she was part of, like, sitcoms before, but that was her first major movie. <laughs> That's Leprechaun. Well, I see what you're saying with that, but what I think is the Grindhouse films or the, the drive-in B movies, I still think the audience for those films, as much as those films ended up being very influential to a lot of today's filmmakers. Uh, Tarantino. Yeah. Robert Rodriguez. Oh, yeah, you know, all those guys. All those guys that we that we know and love. As much as they became influential, I don't think that at the time the audience was so widespread to see those films. It was more of a limited sect of moviegoers. In my opinion, I don't exactly see that to be so impactful to the mass culture of moviegoers. Whereas a movie like Rosemary's Baby with the Oscar nominations and got the one win. It brought horror to the mainstream. Yes. That was 1968 and then with Exorcist also blowing up the way it did. Right. And eventually Jaws, most mainstream horror movie. True. You mentioned Jaws. You know what's funny about that? Nothing's funny about Jaws. <laughs> There's 
a couple of funny things. Richard Dreyfus. <laughs> so in The Evil Dead, you'll notice on the floor of the cabin, there's a poster for the movie The Hills Have Eyes. Yes, I pointed that out last time we watched. So in The Hills Have Eyes, Wes Craven puts a Jaws poster in one of his scenes. And that is a comment by Craven saying that Jaws is a pop horror movie. Yeah, the most popular horror movie right? ever. Here comes my film, The Hills Have Eyes, which is a true horror movie. Like, not true, like, this is a true story, which yeah, it, no, it was based, yeah, yeah. but... Loosely based on Sonic. Um, like, it's like the real deal horror. Screw that Jaws crap. Huh. Which is interesting because Wes Craven started out directing pornography. <laughs> That's why Last House on the Left has porno actors in it. It does? And then actual actors. Huh. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yep. Well, Sam Raimi did the exact same thing in his film. Like, he put the Hills Have Eyes poster there to say, Wes Craven, you're full of crap. <laughs> Your movie is pop horror. My movie is real horror. Well, I don't know if Hills Have Eyes is pop horror at all. It's, it's popular, but <laughs> yeah. I don't like it. I like the remake, but I don't like it. Nor the sequel. But anyway, that's my little opinion about that. Sam Raimi's movie, though, I do believe is better than Hills Have Eyes. I definitely. think so too. So let's keep talking about Evil Dead 1. Andrew, what do you like about it? Mostly I like the camera work. I agree. It's very kinetic and it seems like at various states a new kind of character that we're seeing the POV of. Obviously we're seeing the POV, that's points of view, of the deadite monster entity thing. We mm -hmm. see that as it's rushing through the woods, which they use something called a plank cam. Plank cam? Explain yeah, that. It's, it's like a 2x4 or 4x4 and they that's a piece of wood that is a certain length and it could be shorter, it could be longer, depending on what kind of shaking action they need on the camera. And they mount it in the middle of the board and they have two people on either side of it and they just run with it through the woods. Lower to the ground so that you have grass and reeds and stuff flying through the camera's mm -hmm. lens. It shakes, but the two people are holding the board also serves as a sort of shock absorption. So it doesn't shake like your average found footage film. Okay. Which is shaky cam. Right, but it's more, I guess, free-flowing, I would say, yeah. than, than like a steady cam. Yeah, well, a steady cam is actually so free-flowing. It's super smooth. It loses some of the smoothness because it's people holding it and it's not a counterbalance weight system. So it's... Okay, yeah, that, that's what I was trying to say. It's a bit herkier and jerkier than a steady cam, but it uses, theoretically, some of the same concepts. But it is just a board with a camera mounted on it. <laughs> a lot of fans know this information, but I really like that technique that they use. And also, later, when they just have the camera pushing in through a window or mounted on a wall in a weird way, and they're using a strange angle or lens that they don't often use in movies, especially in 1981. Right. Not only do I think that the camera acts as a character or as the eyes of a demon, I think it also can sort of represent the craziness that's going on inside Ash's head. Like, there's, there's shots where the camera goes upside down mm -hmm. and, and stuff. It's, like, representative of anxiety and... What do I do? What's going on? Well, how else are we going to even come close to feeling what his character feels? Yeah. So what do you like about it? A lot of the same things as you do. I really appreciate the camera work. What I really enjoy about this film is that it's got this spirit to it. This, um, this <laughs> do-it-yourself spirit thing. Oh, you mean huh, a deadite? Yeah. Like, no. the yeah. evil yes. dead spirit? Yes, no. Okay. Really, it's just like this, this DIY attitude. Exactly. That's how it was made. Yeah. And what don't you like? 
It's the noisiest movie. <laughs> it's one of the noisiest movies I've ever heard. They're screaming throughout like, I think a 10 minute section of the film <laughs> just screams and screams and screams. And it's just, cackling. No, I don't care too much about the cackling. It's the screaming, <laughs> blood curdling screams. So <laughs> relentless. Yeah, you can't really take a nap. No, I know, right? We're old. That's what we want to do when we watch a horror movie. Tried and true horror movie. Fall asleep to Sunday afternoon. You can't do that to this one. No. And you, what don't you like? The characters. The non-characters? Yeah, okay. So, it's this group of friends who I believe that they're friends. Well, hold on just a second. For those of you who may not have ever seen The Evil Dead 1 and 2, <laughs> it's the same movie. So, I'm just going to give the plot real quick. Friends go to the cabin. Cabin in the Woods story. You probably have seen Cabin in the Woods. Oh no, they find a weird, creepy book. Oh no, somebody reads from it and unleashes demons who, unbeknownst to them, are attacking the house. And one by one, and sometimes a couple by a couple, attack the people inside the house and take over their bodies. And there you have Possession Siege story in a little cabin. The end. That's the story. Now, what I don't buy about it is... I don't think they're actually friends. Like, they have a setup where they're driving in the car, going to the cabin, and they're singing in the car, and they have a little bit of a rapport. So, I mean, yeah, they know each other, but they don't feel like they're old, good friends to me. Hmm. And then later when they get to the cabin, it's like all personality and character development that could be there is not there at all. They're well, I think Ash has the most character development, and he has the most to lose. They set that up because because he gives his girlfriend a necklace. Right. And he is the one that goofy goofies with his girlfriend and ha 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 because he's Bruce Campbell and he can't get away from any of that. So I think he is the one that has the character mostly. But maybe that's just Bruce Campbell being Bruce Campbell. Maybe, but even Ash in this film is completely different than the Ash that we've all come to know and love. Or loathe. <laughs> in the first movie, he is kind of a softy. He's a romantic. Well, he's romantic. He just looks at things in like bewilderment. I guess. Which is fine, I think. Yeah, I think I mean, that's a character. If you're in that situation, I really wouldn't expect much else if you're suddenly under siege by a bunch of ugly demons. To go back to what I do like about it, also, uh -huh. I'm gonna say how the story seems to skip from main character to main character in many of the set pieces. Not all of the set pieces, but the woman who is attacked by the trees. It's a stupid scene because she goes out into the woods for unprovoked. She just hears oh, noises, right. right? This is also what I don't like, <laughs> but what I do like is that the story seemed to be her story when she went out. Yeah. And then the second hero of the story is that blonde dude who is totally gung-ho and takes the lead and is fighting demons left and right. And then the story suddenly shifts to Ash being the hero and he's not equipped to be the hero. He doesn't have the mindset and all that to be the hero. And that's where he has to be the hero. So I think he does have a story arc. I just don't think that he's a very strong character in the first one. As we talk about these films, we'll talk about Ash more and more in his development. So on to the second movie. Four years ago, in this quiet forest, in this cozy cabin, something happened. Something so frightening. Something so deadly. Something so evil. We prayed it would never happen again. Now, from the theater of Evil Dead, comes Evil Dead 2. Swallow your soul! 
dead too dead by dawn second movie like i said is the first movie <laughs> yeah i believe they uh decided we had such a big hit in the first one and by the way they did especially overseas we'll get into that later but so they, they decided to remake it because now they have better technology now they have crazier stuff that they can do they can take it farther than they did before. But since the first one, I think, was unintentionally comedic, they were like, well, why were it, was it unintentionally comedic? What were those things in it other than the comedy beats applied to horror? Mm -hmm. What was so funny? And what ends up being funny is that it's Bruce Campbell. Being a slapstick comedian. Yeah. So would you say that that's what you like about Evil Dead 2? Because I would. I would say that. Yes and no, because the no is that I'm not... This applies to... Army of Darkness as well. I'm not a Three Stooges fan. Well, me neither, but I like cartoons. I okay. like cartoon violence. <laughs> All right. Tex Avery, Tom and Jerry, Itchy and Scratchy. Right. So, yeah, I, I get that. But um, more in Army of Darkness, there are some direct Three Stooges things that I, my eyes couldn't roll any louder. <laughs> Bowling balls in heaven, you know. <laughs> Evil Dead 2 is the next logical step if you're going to remake the movie by the same filmmakers. They just get a crew that's willing to do an even better film of the original film. Yeah. And that's what's so great about it. What's What I don't like about it is that it goes on for too long, I think. There's a certain point at the middle of the second act or beginning of the third act in which I'm like, okay, I get it. <laughs> yeah. Move along. Not skip to the end. Skip to the end. But <laughs> cut a couple frames or something. I don't know. There, there's only so much Three Stooges you can watch. Yeah, and it's just one guy doing it to himself. Right. Which That's amazing. Brilliant job. He's literally doing all of his stunts. Right. Fighting his own hand. He's flipping himself. Yeah. And that's something that he learned as a teenager because he was doing Three Stooges antics with <laughs> Sam. Yeah. Really, there's not a whole lot to talk about with Evil Dead 2. It's a much more kinetic film. It's more stylized and it's more humorous. Mm -hmm. They're actually better characters. You can tell that they're characters because they're wearing clothes that say this is a character's clothes. Like, the guy's got overalls on and a, an old trucker's cap. <laughs> that's his character outfit. And you go, oh, I can tell a lot about that guy just by what he's wearing. <laughs> and his girlfriend's wearing Daisy Dukes or something. Not really Daisy Duke. She's just wearing jeans shorts or something like that. But these are more distinct characters than the first movie. And Ash is turned up. Right. Ash is a lot more confident. Yeah. He's starting to be the Ash that we know. He's the Ash that everybody really did fall in love with. Yeah. Initially. But I think he's a little bit of a Larry Stew. <laughs> he's a Larry Stew in that he seems to know, even though he's a bumbling fool, not the worst bumbling fool, not like Army of Darkness, he also kind of knows how to handle it all. Magically naturally <laughs> his ideas are all like yeah I, I can do this I got it that's the gung-ho thing right it's not the most Larry Stu because Larry Stu always does everything perfectly and here he's a bit tattered so that's cool yeah I don't know if I would call him a Larry Stu I think that's a bit of a reach a little bit of a Larry Stu <laughs> he's a Lars <laughs> Uh, but that leads us because Evil Dead literally leads directly to Army of Darkness. He's a 20th century guy in the Dark Ages. Just send me back to my own time. Pronto, today. Now he's got a date. Give me some sugar, baby. With the Army of Darkness. Groovy. Break it off. By the ending, he gets chucked into Medieval Times Dinner and Tournament. Not the dinner and tournament part. Medieval England, Iowa? That's Bill and Ted. Oh. Two. There's still time travel. That, whoa, you just you just designed a mashup shirt. Where's Doctor Who entering into all of this? And, and Michael J. Fox and H.G. Wells. Who's Michael J. Fox? What? 
Anyway. So I know the Army of Darkness was very special to you for a long time. So I think I am just going to let you talk about it. What do you like about it? And what do you not like about it? Everything is perfected style-wise. Camera work, even the character. He's become the perfect, lovable, loathable buffoon bragger. The movie doesn't hide this fact that he's an ass. But. Ass butt. <laughs> You said ass butt. <sighs> Natural comedy. The adventure elements are there. They're insane. They're bonkers. It opens with and in a voiceover that I completely have always disagreed with. He says, My name is Ash, and I am a slave. And he's not he's a not slave. He's not a slave? No, he's a captive. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's it. They capture him after falling out of the sky. King Arthur's knights capture him. Yeah, that's true. It happens really fast. Like, yeah. there's, there's no time for him to become a slave. Right, he's not enslaved in anything. He's just put in shackles and marched. He's not a slave. He's just a prisoner. The narrative stuff where he's telling us the story, and then at the end, it cuts to him telling somebody else a story as if he was telling the story the whole time. It's messy. Because he's like, My name is Ash. And I am a slave. And at the end... I thought about staying. They offered me the chance to lead them, to teach them, to, to be king. Uh-huh. But my place is here, so I swallowed the juice, said the words, and here I am. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I get it. So that, that's a thing I don't like. The writing on this is really... I think it's really a 14-year-old going, This happens, and then that happens, and his swords, and then he does a thing, and it's totally rad. But they don't really care too much about tenses and whatever. Well, okay, so I don't have too much of a problem with... Now, just follow me. Mm-hmm. The, my name is Ash and I'm a slave. Aside from that part of the end that you just mentioned, because that does make it problematic. But Ash is a liar and a manipulator, so it's cool... For him to say I was a slave because okay, I get what you're like saying. I am exaggerating this story to, to right, make you right, right. feel more. He didn't just say I was put in shackles uh, 15 minutes ago. Yeah, so I mean, it makes it. He gives him more gravity. Yeah, it's a storytelling trick. Got it. Okay, okay, I get you. But yeah, it doesn't make sense with the, the end part, like you said. Right, like, right, right. But was, that end part. Honestly, was tacked on. It's my favorite part of the movie, by the way. Mm -hmm. It was tacked on because the original ending was him going into a cave, saying the words incorrectly, and end up Rip Van Winkling into post-apocalypse. Oh. Where he has a big long beard, gets out of his oh, car, right. gets out of the cave. Oh, God. No. No. I slept too long. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever, as he looks at a uh, barren landscape of broken cities and all that uh -huh. stuff. He fights deadites on behalf of King Arthur and uh, Eric the Red, some ginger knight guy. He fights alongside them against this army of darkness. Oh. That's the title of the movie. Now, is this a true story? <laughs> I'm not serious. <laughs> okay. I just think it'd be funny if they were inserted uh, historical figures. Just forget it. Forget it. I'm making a joke. So this story is fun and silly enough. And there are many different versions of the film. My favorite version is the one that they showed on the USA channel because it's a bit longer. And oh. yeah. What's the difference? 
I mean, oh, it's just longer. That fight scene between him and a bunch of mirror images of himself that come out of the mirrors, and they're all action figure size, is a bit longer and zanier. Hmm. And it has callbacks to the other movies when he has to saw up the bodies and stuff like this. It has the exact same references. In fact, the very beginning of the movie retells the first two versions of the story, featuring Bridget Fonda now as his girlfriend. Yeah. It's just the, really the quickest, most concise version of the other movies without blood, because there's a history with this movie series that they've had problems with censors all over the world. Yeah. So they just wanted to basically make a PG-13 film. It, it still ended up being rated R. It didn't have a lot of blood in it, but it had a lot of gook and grossness. Yeah. And very awesome fight scenes. Again, camera work. True. I, I was a dork. I might still be a dork, but I was a dork and... My best friend in high school ended up getting married in 1994, and I had responsibility to throw him a bachelor party. So I got a case of Snapple, multi-flavored Snapple, and Army of Darkness. Really? And that was our bachelor party. The people that were with us, we didn't have a whole bunch of people there, but they were like, huh, okay. He's a conservative guy. He's not going to go to a strip club. I'm terrified of strip clubs. I don't want to look like a creep, because my only experience with strip clubs is seeing stuff in movies and everybody in those movies are always creepy sleazy you know so i didn't want to do that so we watched army of darkness wow yeah i'm a dork and so for years after that, nothing happened except for video games and comic books and maybe musical. So Evil Dead sat dormant until recently they decided, let's remake the first one. Evil Dead. There was something in the woods. You're all going to die tonight. If we don't do something, we're all going to be dead. We're going to get you. Evil Dead. Sure, why not? It's been done before. <laughs> Evil Dead too. Yeah, so they got Fede Alvarez, who had a distinct vision for what he wanted to do. It had the bones of the first version, first and second version, story plotline anyway, but it didn't have an ash. Well, sort of did, sort of. Well, okay, so physical ash, the actual ash, there was a tag at the end of the film. But throughout there, I think there's multiple ashes in the remake. Okay, you're talking about the brother and sister character. Yes. I want to come back to that because I, what I want to say first about this film is the characters in general. Okay. I don't like them. <laughs> <laughs> you don't like the characters in the sense that uh, if you walked into a party and there were all those characters, you would be like, oh great, these people. <laughs> right. Okay. I'm not going to say that the remake is a bad film because it's not. I'm not going to be upset that it was remade because I don't care. I think that the script for the remake is a lot more interesting than the original movies. And you can hate me for that if you want, that's fine. Well, correct me if I'm wrong. Is it because on the script level, just the writing yes. gives you reason to be in the cabin, gives you character motivations? Yes. Absolutely. All right, so all we know about the kids in the first movie is that they're friends and they're going on spring break. That's that's it. That's it. That's every Cabin in the Woods slasher sort of scary movie. Right. I don't really have a reason to care about them. I know that a couple of them are... Lovers in, or whatever. Yeah, they're in love, and that, that means I should automatically care about them. Because you've been in love. Right. You relate to being a lady in love, so... Yeah, I guess, but, like, it just doesn't move me. 
Right. Of the remake, the reason why the kids are together is that they are old friends, and one of them has a problem with heroin that has been addressed times in the past. Like, she's had past interventions. She's tried to quit before, but she's a junkie, and she keeps going back to it. So her friends are very concerned. And this is their last attempt. She keeps promising that she's going to quit. And And then then quits quitting. (laughs) (laughs) So right there, that's purpose. That's reason. The characters themselves do have more development. You are in on what they're doing. You, You know what... You know their motivations. Now, my problem with it is I think maybe casting, to be honest. So you think it's miscast? I think... It is, I don't Every think... character's miscast? Every actor's miscast? Well, I don't want to say that. I don't necessarily think that in their auditions that they did a terrible job and they got the job anyway. What I think is, they just don't have good chemistry with each other. Like, I don't think that the characters really have good interactions. I don't believe that they are friends. There's just something missing about how they speak to each other, how they interact with each other, that doesn't tell me that they actually care about each other. Well, I can understand what you're saying. I don't necessarily agree but I don't necessarily disagree hear me out because it's established that one character the brother has been away for 10 years and has been avoiding responsibility with his dying mother with his sister's troubles with drugs her friends are resentful of him so I understand why those characters do not seem like they're friends of his even though they were longtime friends what they are called is long-suffering friends these friends don't really like each other anymore, but they still have... They're obligated. Yeah, they still have a personal obligation to each other. And that actually really comes through, especially with the two male characters. But the nurse character is the one that I have a problem with. We've seen her in plenty of other things, and she's a good actor. She's fine. She's adequate in most other things. And here she's not doing bad acting. I think she's just miscast. And she just doesn't seem like a person, as the character even, who would wear an MC5 shirt. <laughs> It seems petty for me, but she really seems like just somebody said, we need her to look hip. Right, so her character just got that at Urban Outfitters and didn't really know. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> Actually, she seems like she could be that. I don't know. I just didn't like that. So I'm, I'm judging a person based on what their wardrobe is, but that didn't seem sincere. And neither does getting something at Urban Outfitters that you don't know what it is. And you still, I think it's a cool shirt. So that's where I think the sincerity of casting, whatever, I think that might have. It's very difficult to predict these things when you're making a movie. Yeah. You hire the people you think are best for the job and they do their job. But you look at the big picture. Once it's cut together and something's just not. not, And I think that's with that character for the most part. I think it's an admirable project that they did. I don't think it's the worst remake. No, I think it has a lot of elements that I really enjoy in a story. I mean, it does have the character development. It does have the backstory that's interesting and believable. But now it's missing the fun. Yeah. Yeah, it was maybe a little bit too dark. It, it was creepy. It has some great creepy elements. Yeah. Really near perfection on the gross you out, creep you out, freak you out. Yeah. Because of this kind of monster horror thing. Right. They do explain a little bit through Lou Taylor Pucci's meddling with the book a little bit more coherently what's gone on with the book. But like the first movie, thing that I liked about the first movie with the switching from main characters to main characters. Right. This This part of the writing is what I really like, where the big brother is the Ash surrogate. Yes. 
and he does everything that he needs to do in order to face off whatever he perceives as the threat until he can't. And then it switches to Mia, his sister, mm-hmm. being the Ash surrogate. Because she actually has to do the like hardcore demon fighting. Yeah, that's the stuff that I really liked about this. I think this is a fine remake. Yeah. Honestly, it's no Fright Night, remake-wise. That's true. That movie's like super solid with only one issue that we have with it, but no big deal. This movie has more issues with it, but it's still pretty solid. I think it's very watchable. Yeah, but you don't want to watch it too often because there's, like I said, not a lot of fun to it. Which brings us to Ash versus the Evil Dead, right? Yeah. My uncle was a shaman. When I was a kid, he would say, evil is always waiting in the shadows and only one man would rise to stand against it. Yeah, looking sweet. Uh-huh. Here's the plan. There must be some spell I can say to undo this BS once and for all. If we get this on quick enough, we might have time to stop for churros. That's not a racist thing, Pablo. That's just a great dessert. You know I'm not Mexican, right? That's the spirit. Ash versus Evil Ted. So they listened to the criticism of the remake, and what did they do? They were like, Hey, let's just do what we always did. And as we said, at the end of the, the remake, Ash shows up and says, Groovy. Right, it's just his face. Yeah, I have an issue with that. Because that tells me that the next installment is going to involve Ash in this gritty, gross, darker, more horrific kind of Evil Dead-verse whatever. And what we have is cartoons again. That's true. It seems like there's going to be more of a challenge for, for Ash. Ashley. But yeah, it doesn't really happen. He's still a womanizer. He's still a braggart, even more so. Last time we saw Ash, he was the biggest braggart in the world. Totally. And now he's even bigger than that. It's weird because he's kind of, uh, I don't know, would you call Ash in the other films small? Smart. I mean, he's obviously bumbling, but like he kind of has a wit about him. He right? knows how to use a textbook to make gunpowder. Yeah. In the TV series, I kind of feel like he has lost his ability to make rational decisions. As opposed to much of the other films. Yes. Yeah. I see what you're saying, and I agree. Which is possibly another one of the things I don't like about the TV series. But I do like the supporting cast in the TV series. Yeah, they do a great job. It's, I mean, it's very fun. It's very enjoyable. Okay. Comparing Contrast, Evil Dead remake. Not really fun. Kind of impressive. Right. Ash versus Evil Dead. All the way fun. Kind of impressive. <laughs> oh, I want them to meet in the middle. I want a really scary version that's also fun. Yeah. Yes. There's that. But I'm glad the TV series does exist. Right. I feel like the TV series is kind of a graphic novel come to life in that it has the gore elements, it has the violence, it has the sex. Yeah. The film series doesn't have all that stuff so much. Well, it has all the violence and gore. And, and gore, but not so much the sex. It just has, uh, the very first one, the tree attack. Well, okay. Her blouse gets ripped open, but they abandoned that in the second movie. And yeah. the third movie just has some slave girls. Come on, girly girl. Right. It's, it's, not, it's not a big part of it. It's not. Ash doesn't ever get it on with anybody. Right. In the series, though, it's like over the top. Ash is a slut. Sex monger. He's a slut. Yeah. He trolls for strange, as they call it. Strange. That's yeah, one term. <laughs> strange ladies. He's kind of a kind of a douchebag. He's always been since Evil <laughs> Dead Three: Army of Darkness. He's so like, that, why, that's what people love about him. Why do we love him? Like he he uses his uh, his wooden hand as a ploy to like uh, get laid. Get laid. Like why is that okay? It's it's not. 
Here's the deal. Here's what I think about why Ash is all right, even though he's obviously not. For the decent folk in the world, I'd like to consider myself a decent folk. Ash is catharsis, in a way. Hmm. He does all the things that we don't do. He's a jerk, he's a womanizer. He does all these things that we deem improper to do. Yeah. Uncouth, unkind, uncaring, selfish, horrible. He's a bad guy, as he is in Army of Darkness through Ash versus the Evil Dead. But we watch him, and we like watching him, one, because he's got a smirk and a smile as this happens. Two, he gets punished left and right for his behavior. Yeah, I guess that's true. Punished. Pummeled, beat up, knocked down, dragged down, sometimes possessed. It's all because of his bad behavior. We're like, yeah, we have a whipping boy, <laughs> but he deserves it. So that's part of the, the overall controversy about this film series and its exploitative nature. Yeah, that, that was a big problem. The original movie came out and not necessarily stateside. Here, Hey, I've got something that I need. I want to show you. I, I guess you guys are just going to hear this, but hold on. Let me go get the tape. A tape? Yeah, videotape. Hold on. Oh. Let me put it in the VCR. Hold on. My first recollection of the term video nasties was hearing it in a song called Dan Abnormal by the band Blur. But upon learning more about the term, I realized that I had already been well acquainted with more than a few associated titles. In my formative years, and even in my younger childhood, I was more interested in the fantastic and the macabre than common kitty fare. At six years of age, I had already seen Jaws, and by 15, I was exploring strange horror, both foreign and domestic. Titles like Evil Dead, and even more so, Evil Dead 2, Dead by Dawn. Finding the film back then proved to be a bit difficult. In America, we simply had rated or unrated films, and it all depended on the store or the dealer as to which was made available to the masses. Before the advent of the special edition DVD, stores like Blockbuster would have regular MPAA-rated titles or sometimes have a slightly truncated version of whatever the harder titles were, as per store policy, while mom-and-pop shops would most often carry the uncut or unrated edition. In the UK, however, from the early 80s to the late 90s, this was not the case. A kind of boogeyman, or woman as it were, began haunting retailers and rental stores. Her name was Mary Whitehouse, and she headed a coalition to remove unsavory videos from the shelves of video stores. It has been said that Whitehouse herself coined the term video nasties, which has been defined as a film usually made for video that is explicitly horrific, brutal, and or pornographic. Your basic 1970s and early 80s exploitation fair, covering all exploitation genres. But more often than not, horror was singled out as the nastiest. Now it should be said that not all of Mary Whitehouse's endeavors for public decency were objectionable. She championed a campaign against child pornography that would be more than supported today. But her crusade to stamp out what she considered indecent and morally reprehensible in the home video market was at once met with outcry from renters and sellers and support from tabloids that smelled blood in the water, so to speak. Headlines were thick with knee-jerk declarations. Seize the video nasty, 
Nazis. Judge blames video nasties for murder. Ban video sadism now. For the sake of all your kids, burn your video nasty. Four children and ten watch video nasties. Keep nasties from your kids. Video nasties to be destroyed. Children in video peril. Video nasties give children bloodlust. Video chillers unleash mad killers. This poison is being peddled as home entertainment. White House was instrumental in the Video Recordings Act of 1984 getting passed in Parliament. Under this act, retailers and rental shops would be raided, with their catalog confiscated, and the owners either fined or jailed, or sometimes both. This sent the films underground, where a crafty network of individuals would sell or trade the banned titles at risk of being busted. In 1983, the Director of Public Prosecutions, DPP, made public the first list of video nasties. There were 72 titles. Among them was 1981's Evil Dead, so-called the number one nasty, because it was both a gruesome horror film and the year's most rented and best-selling video release. Evil Dead was an independent production made with funds secured from family and friends and local businesses by filmmakers Sam Raimi, the director, and Bruce Campbell, the star. Sam Raimi was only 20 at the time of filming, and his youthful exuberance shows on screen via his inventive camera techniques and strange and exciting script. But it is in that script, and ultimately what was released on celluloid, that got the film banned. Not only in the UK, but many other countries as well. For instance, in Germany, The Evil Dead is allowed on home video, Blu-ray, DVD, but still not permitted for theatrical release. I was first made aware of the Evil Dead series one evening while changing channels. I stumbled upon one channel that aired recent BBC shows. One such show was The Incredibly Strange Film Show. In particular, this episode explored Evil Dead 2, and I sought to find it, as locally it wasn't the most popular film, and thus not in stores. But a friend of mine found it via the library system where he worked, thanks Ryan, and my life has since never been the same. But I digress. Due to the DPP dropping titles or failing prosecution, Evil Dead and many other video nasties are now available to the public in the UK with little or no cuts, though there are 39 that are still banned after the DPP succeeded in proving the films to be legally obscene. Now this has all been a primer on the topic. For further information about the Video Nasties, look for the documentary Video Nasties, The Definitive Guide, and its sequel, Draconian Days. So that's that, Video Nasties. I think it's funny that you can't say Video Nasty as an American. Yeah, it it's difficult. Stupid. Video Nasty. <laughs> you have to say it in a British accent. That same guy that I had that bachelor party with, he says nasty in the most annoying way. I'm gonna do it. Nasty! Ugh, if I keep doing it, LB's head will explode. I don't want that to happen, so I'll stop. Please don't. Like literally explode, gore. Yeah. I've seen it happen. It was tough to put back together. Well, you read from that book. Yeah, well, Klaatu Barada Nektu. Okay. The big controversy in America, there wasn't any like that. Like the video nasties. There were, excuse me, video nasties. <laughs> there were the MPAA rating things NC-17 in about 1988 or 89. That yeah. was a new thing to allow for things that weren't quite pornography or things that had too much violence for mainstream consumption to get rated. So the ratings capped off at rated R for public consumption and then X for pornography in America. Mm -hmm. And then NPAA said, well, NC-17, if it's got some sex in it that it just isn't porn, but it's more explicit. Or some violence 
that we made you trim to get a rated R, well, you don't want to trim it, you're going to get an NC-17. Yeah. That was supposed to fix things. We were supposed to be able to see harder edged things in the theater, but... It didn't become that. Middle America said, what? NC No, NC-17 is a replacement for X. Right, so it must all be 100% pornographic. Yeah, even though it's not. So now movies still struggle with their ratings. We only had the NC-17 issue movie-wise. Music we had... Yeah, we had Tipper Gore and so the, that was... the, the PRMC back in the 80s. That famous hearing where Frank Zappa goes and talks in front of the Senate. So that's similar to the video Nasty. Right, that type of censorship. Because in rock and roll there was... Uh, pentagrams on Motley Crue records and stuff just to get a rise out of satanic panic moms and all this stuff. And in the 90s, we also had, thanks to video games like Mortal Kombat, a rating system for video games. But we don't often in America get movies being blamed for atrocities done, crimes done. I mean, we do. Some people are like, this happened. And it's because I watched a Halloween movie. But it's not true. Those people are few and far between. It happens in the headlines, but it's nothing like what happened with the video nasties. I'm just curious, did you have a lot of exposure to video nasties (laughs) when you were growing up? No, no, not at all. Well, yeah, in Holland, we'd go to a video store and I'd see videotape covers, but my parents ended up renting Disney releases for us, like Pete's Dragon and stuff like that, mm-hmm. which I loved at the time. And then stuff like Captain Future, which is not an anime that you guys would know of. But no, no video nasties for me. Hmm. Uh, no video nasties for me. <laughs> I wasn't even aware of the term until I saw it on that episode of The Young Ones. And when was this? You saw it on... Oh, well, when they started playing it on Comedy Central. Yeah, I didn't even yeah. know about it back then. Wait. Well, I heard of it, but I didn't know what it meant and you know I watch it today I watched that episode today where they're, they're trying to put the, the tape into the VCR and they don't know how it works Michael and I are going to indulge in an all night orgy of sex and violence <laughs> what's in the drawing room make the carpet get awfully sticky <laughs> it's a video nasty well that episode's called nasty I, I finally understand what they mean by like we've got a video nasty yeah, <laughs> yeah. alright so Overall, what do you think of all the Evil Deads? Well, I think if you're a teenager who is mostly mentally stable, I'd say this is something that you should probably look into if movies are things that you're interested in. Especially if you're wanting to experiment with horror, this is a really good place to start. That's true. I really like this series because I kind of feel it is postmodern in a way. Um, How do you mean? Well, I mean, we all know it's silly. Yeah. I think it makes fun of movies. It's sort of a meta horror film series to me. What I mean by meta horror is not exactly like uh, Scream. Scream or what Cabin in the Woods. Scream and Cabin in the Woods are the two pinnacle meta horror movies. Right, they're very self-aware. They they know their horror movies. The filmmakers know that they're making yeah. horror movies. They're winking at you by putting references in and all that. Right. What I mean is, I think The Evil Dead, I would classify it as a horror movie, but I would put horror in quotation marks. Okay. Well, you're talking about the main series, not the remake. Yeah. 
Because the yeah. remake is all oh, the yeah, way that's, horror. That's all horror. So even though I wouldn't exactly call this my favorite film series, and I don't really identify with any of the characters, I surely don't identify with Ash, even though I... <laughs> what, you're you're not a braggart? No. You're not a six foot one tough braggart man? No. I didn't marry Bruce Campbell? No. Okay, obviously I didn't. Bruce Campbell doesn't <laughs> sound like that. Uh, or, or look like you. No, he does not. Thank God. <laughs> it's something that I can devote an afternoon to and not hate myself. And that's all we can ask, right? <laughs> something, we actually, what we really want is something to completely knock our socks off. Right. And these movies did that in our formative years. They just don't do it now. And I think, I think it's because we've matured. Could also be that diminishing return. Yeah. The more you watch it. The less impact it has. Yeah. That's why you don't want to overstay your welcome with any of your favorites. Mm -hmm. You just want to watch them maybe once a year. Maybe. Unless it's Dune, because then you fall asleep during the middle of that, and the next time you watch it, there's something that you miss because you fell asleep during that. Because <laughs> it's so slow. I dare all of you, any of you, to do a marathon of every single Evil Dead, all of it. One day. I don't think it's possible. <laughs> do it and then tell us what you think the meaning of it all is. But you can do that. We're on Twitter. It's at Vincent Price, LOL, like laugh out loud, or follow us on Facebook. You can email us at vincentpriceslaugh at gmail.com or just leave a comment on our Ouch My Ego page. Yep. So I think that about does it for our discussion of the Evil Dead. Yeah, I think so too. Thanks for listening, everybody. And we'll be back next time. Good night. Good night. This podcast is brought to you by Ouch My Ego. Visit OuchMyEgo.com What is this? What is happening?